Uh, hi, everybody, and uh, welcome to another episode, uh, another edition of Luke Who's Watching. Something a little bit different for this uh, this episode. I'm going to talk about some sporting events uh, that have been on that I have uh watched for the last couple of weeks. So, you know, I haven't taken any notes or anything, so forgive me, my brain, uh, my memory of these things will be lazy. And if you're listening back, you know, in years' time, uh, I mean, I guess if, you, if you're interested and you want to watch any of this stuff, um, hop on YouTube and I'm, I'm sure there'll be there'll be some highlights, packages for you of these particular um, sporting events. Now, the first thing I'm going to talk about is the AFL Grand Final, because it was an interesting one. Two teams that have not had much success. Um, well, one team, Melbourne, uh, they had not won a premiership since 1964, which, given that they're one of the, well, prior to 64, most definitely one of the most successful teams in the competition. Not having won anything since 1964 is uh, quite remarkable. Um, And they took on the Western Bulldogs, who in 2016, I believe they won their first premiership since, I think, the mid-50s. So, yeah, it's good that some of the teams that haven't won you know, the, the, the premiership, uh, the pennant for a long time have, have started to to uh, uh, win them in recent times. You know, we, we had, of course, I said 2016, I think it was, uh, the Bulldogs won. Uh, they won theirs, the first one since, I think, the mid to late 50s um, in about 2005, six. So that's like 15 years ago, but still Sydney, um, their team, they won their first premiership since, I think, maybe the 20s or 30s it was a long time for them um more sort of recent times 2017 and then also i think 2019 and then the last year uh, the tigers won and 2017 was their first premiership win since i think about 1981 so there's only one team besides the team the newer teams that have have joined the competition and haven't actually won a premiership. Um, there's three of them, but uh, besides them teams, I think St Kilda are the only team that uh, have a drought. If you want to want to have now the longest drought, um, and they haven't won a premiership since 1965, so they they're still out there. And honestly, I don't think they're going to win one in any recent times. So that's for sure. But. Um, yeah, so the best two teams really all year. Melbourne finished top of the ladder. They were the minor premiers. Um, the Bulldogs lost their last sort of three or so games, I think, in the regular season. So they ended up finishing fifth. Now, that means that their journey, as it were, to the grand final was a lot more... Um, uh, they, they had to basically play some more games. How it works is if you finish top four, you get what's called a double chance. So... The top four teams, I think it's fourth plays, uh, sorry, first plays fourth, second and third play. Now, whoever wins out of those games gets the next week off, um, and then the loser of those games play the winner of fifth and I think it's eighth and sixth and seventh. Um, Now, the loser of those games, they're done, um, and... um, 
Yeah, so, you know, if if you finish outside top four, you've got to win, is it three games uh, to get to the grand final, the fourth win being um, if you win the premiership. And then with the teams that finish uh, top four, if you win, I think you've only got to win the two games. The third would be will get you to the grand final. I think that's if I've got that right. Anyway, so, um, yeah, probably the best two teams now. Melbourne, they played fourth place team Brisbane, and they they bet them pretty easily. And then they played Geelong, who ended up finishing third. Um, but they had lost their, their, I think they called it a qualifying final game, so they had to play an extra game. And anyway, they played Melbourne to get into the grand final. And uh, Melbourne steamrolled them like absolutely smoked them and you you watch it and you think wow the result was so emphatic it was sort of like uh, if Melbourne can they be can you beat them I don't know if they play like that no team could beat them now the Bulldogs because they finished fifth they had to play then eighth place um eighth place team which was Essendon and they beat them and then they played Brisbane, who, of course, the week before had played Melbourne and lost. So Brisbane, because they finished top four, you know, they get the, they get the extra game or the double chance. Um, that game, the uh, Bulldogs won by a point. And then the Bulldogs then played Port Adelaide. And Port Adelaide, in the first round of finals, played, I believe, Geelong. So, you know, they get the week, they had the week off sort of thing. Uh, so... Anyway, so Geelong, uh, not Geelong, Port Adelaide and the Bulldogs played to get into the grand final. And then, you know, as I was saying, the the game against uh, Geelong and Melbourne, Melbourne won pretty emphatically. And you thought, wow, you can't beat them. Uh, but anyway, the next night, Port Adelaide played uh, the Bulldogs and the Bulldogs steamrolled them, like absolutely belted them. Um, I think... Uh, the dogs had like they'd kicked like five or six goals in the first like ten minutes of the game, and <laughs> it was really funny because they have like a camera on the coach. Sometimes they cut to, and the port coach he was like, just I don't know, out of ideas. Like he just looked completely dumbfounded by what was transpiring. Anyway, so we thought, okay, well the bulldogs they've gone a long way. They've got in a grand final. They've They've hammered Port. But also, on the other hand, it's like, well, Melbourne have had more. They've played less games in the four weeks. I'm sure they've flogged Geelong. They're sort of, they're an okay team. Uh, So I was geared up to be a decent grand final, really. Anyway, so it started off and Melbourne got a a pretty good early lead. Um, I think they were about four or five goals up at quarter time. And then the Bulldogs started to turn it around. So the Bulldogs, I think, at uh, I think by the time half time came, they were about two goals up. I think um, they were most definitely ahead. I think Melbourne had only maybe scored an extra goal, so you get six points for a goal, and if you kick it behind, that you you get uh, one point. So I think Melbourne had only made their way from about twenty. I think they might have twenty seven. Points at half time, uh, sorry, at quarter time. I think they only really made their way maybe to 30 
two or 35 or something like that. So, you know, they kicked a goal and maybe two behinds. Um, uh, Bulldogs, on the other hand, then made, I think they might have had about 40. So they had like a goal or so um, lead. Then half time. Then, um, so in the third quarter of the Bulldogs, I think they kicked the first two goals of it. So they were about 18 uh sort of three points, uh, sorry, three goals ahead. And I think, you know, when you get sort of three to four goals up, um, if you're a team that's trailing, you've got to do a bit of work to, you know, close the gap because you might go, okay, well, if we kick three goals, we're still only level. And, you know, we need to kick a fourth, right, to get ahead. That's with the other team not not getting a score. Um, so I... I'll be honest. I was I was on um, the Melbourne train. I thought they've been the best team all year. They've beaten all the other teams. There's only one team they didn't beat this year, and they only played that team once as well. So I reckon if they if they like if they played this particular team a second time, they would have beaten them because um, they had a little bit of a dip. So they they lost to this uh, Collingwood. Was they lost to them in their little bit of a a dippage they had. But anyway, so I thought I um I was a bit worried. I thought, oh no. Um the the Norm Smith curse, you know, of Melbourne's gonna continue. However, uh they absolutely turned it around and in the last I think they kicked about seven or eight goals straight and they were um they were well ahead at the uh at the final break at, at three-quarter time. What happened from about halfway through the third term to the end of the game, Melbourne kicked, I think, 17, uh, no, sorry, 16 of the last 17 goals. And, uh, you know, they kicked like 100 points and I think the Bulldogs only added, uh, I think they might have added about seven points to their score. Uh, something like that, something quite ridiculous. So a, a game that started off with um, you know, the dogs under the cosh, they got themselves back into it, got ahead, and I thought Melbourne are in a in a spot of bother here, and then they just turned it on and they ended up absolutely smoking the dogs. I like I thought that Melbourne would probably win. Um, however, I thought maybe three or four, four goals. So that's sort of 18 to 24 points, but they ended up winning by about 80. Um, and actually a friend of mine is a, is a Bulldog supporter and I sent them a message and I've, I think I might've just said something like, oh, I'm not sure I quite, I, I can't believe, I can't believe this. It's, um, quite remarkable really. Um, yeah, so Melbourne won their first um, premiership since 1964. Now, this is, their, this is, I believe, only their second grand final as well since 1964. They were in the grand final in 2000. I think they got smoked. Um, but just, I guess if you're... Well, if you're particularly not interested or if you're somebody who's listening um, from another country, you know, Melbourne were an absolute laughing stock. You know, they were an awful team, like sort of 
10, 15 years ago, they were just, they were shocking. They were so bad, awful. Like every week they were getting absolutely flogged. But, um, you know, they had a little bit of a plan or got to a bit of a point, I think, where they they they, they developed a plan. They brought in a coach who's a good, solid coach, right? Maybe not an outstanding, but a good, solid guy just to get a bit of stability back. And then they had like a succession plan. So they got in Paul Ruse, who um, he's like, I wouldn't say he's a great coach, like he's a bit of a fixer, right? I think if you're in the cosh and you need a, need somebody to just get a bit of stability back, you'd hire Ruse. Um So he just brought a bit of stability back uh, to the um, team. And then after he, I think he was coached for about three years, um, and then current coach Simon Goodwin took over. And they have been a little bit inconsistent, but this year most definitely is an absolute, if you could say it's a breakout year. Um, I think you can most definitely say it's a breakout year. I think they only lost four games. Well, they play. I think they played 22 or 23 games, and they only lost, I think, about four or five. So they, they would have got 17, 18 wins up on the season. Um, and then they got to the grand final pretty easily. And then in the end, they ended up winning it pretty easily. So, yeah, I watched... Well, I, I, I was in my room and I had my radio on and the football was on the radio and I could hear, yeah, oh, oh, like cheering happening. So I then did turn it on. It was about at, um, yeah, probably at half time, I reckon, I turned the TV on and I just had it on. And whenever there was a bit of a jeer on the radio, I could hear, I'd turn around, I'd look at the TV to see what was going on. And, um, yeah, quite an emphatic victory indeed. So, yeah, that was the uh, the AFL um, grand final. And also, the, the, the there's a best on player uh, medal. And that went to um, somebody from, from the Melbourne team. Now, the name of the medal is called the Norm Smith Medal. Now, Norm Smith, he actually used to be the Melbourne coach, and he was their coach when they last won their uh, premiership in 1964. And uh, also, Norm Smith is a six-time premiership coach as well uh, for Melbourne. So he... um, Yes, that's the first time ever a Melbourne player has ever won the Norm Smith Medal. And also the Coaches Medal has a name too, but it is the Jock McHale Medal. And of course, Melbourne coach that like uh, Simon Goodwin uh, was, was awarded that. He he um, gets, uh, gets that particular medal as being the winning coach. Now, the Jock McHale Medal is named after, I believe, uh, Jock or James McHale. He used to be the Collingwood coach in sort of the 20s, 30s. And also, I think the to the mid forties or maybe the late forties, um, and I believe he was uh, responsible for I think eight or nine uh, premierships when he was in charge as coach. So I think because he has won the most premierships as coach, the coach's medal is named after uh, named after him. So just a, a few interesting little things there. Um, for you, yes. And actually, just talking about the the coaches' medal. When the Bulldogs won the premiership in two thousand sixteen, the coach of uh, their coach, Luke Beveridge, when he was awarded his uh, medal, he you know went and said a few words. And what he actually done is he got the captain up on 
of the podium with him. Now, what had happened is, I think it was the second or third game of the season, the captain, uh, their captain, uh, had an injury, and it was like a, um, he was out for the season. And this particular player had been at the team for a long time. So what uh, Bevo did is he actually got him up on stage and he gave him his, his medal um, <clears throat> on the stage off the fields. And, uh, you know, the coach and the captain of the team usually hoist the, the Premiership Cup, but um, the standing captain and then the, I suppose, the main main uh, skipper, you know, they held up the uh, Premiership Cup. So that was, that was an interesting moment. That was a good uh, sort of emotional bit of a, a moment there. But, um, yeah, anyway, so Melbourne won. It's their 13th. Um, premiership win and um, yeah quite interesting so I'm sure if you go online onto YouTube and type in something like 2021 AFL Grand Final um, I'm most definitely sure if you're interested if you if you if you want to there would be a highlights video there for you now um, now let's get into the next thing I watched so last weekend um, this was the uh, so as, as some of you may know i i like cycling and i do um not all the time but i will watch watch some racing so there was a race on uh, over the weekend it's, it's a, a one day race and it's uh parry roubaix so they well, don't actually ride from paris they did used to ride from paris when the race first started apparently it's it's one of the oldest it is actually the oldest uh, cycling race in the world so they they start um about 80 or 90 kilometres uh, further north um, than Paris, and they ride to a town called Roubaix, which is near the Belgium-French border. Now, you might be like, okay, what's what's so exciting about this? Well, what happens is they ride, uh, there's a lot of, they ride on, not all, not exclusively, but there is a lot of cobbled pave they ride on, and that really is is the challenge like that is to race riding on the, the cobble um parve the cobbled roads well not roads they're like little tracks i guess you could call them really they're not like the width of the car they are really um and this year saw the first edition of the women's parry roubaix now the ladies their race have a men's race so they started, I'm, I can't remember what this particular town's called, but it's about 80, 90 kilometres north of Paris. So the men started this particular place and they ride to Roubaix. So the men's race is about 250 kilometres. Now the ladies' race was about half that. I think their race was about 130 or so kilometres. Um, and they had 17, I believe, 17 sections of cobble uh, parve to negotiate so i was like well, I'll, I'll watch both so anyway so the ladies race was on saturday the men's race was on sunday so watch the ladies race now here's a something that's disappointing but also something that was quite interesting the disappointing thing is in regards to the ladies race we only saw or the last sort of 60 kilometers was broadcast so the breakaway or the Eventual winner, um, Lizzie Diagon, she had broken away by herself at this point. So she was out riding by herself, and then there was like a chasing pack. Um, so I was like, well, what's, how did that happen? You know, we, did, we didn't get to see that move happen, which was a little bit disappointing. But um, nevertheless, look, I, I, I still enjoyed the race. Um, also, now, 
the, the race is usually held earlier in the year, I believe sort of March, April time in the spring over there in um, uh, France. But it's coming in, it's like sort of autumn going into their winter now. So instead of riding on, usually they ride on, you know, dusty cobbles, um, of course, this year because it's coming into winter, um, there's been some rain, all the, the cobbles were wet and there was mud around. So as a result, some of the, there was some crashes. Um, there was a few times actually Lizzie Diagon, who, who won the race, um, almost lost it. She got a bit of a fishtail happening a few times out of some of the corners. But yeah, the ladies, it was, it was quite interesting because the chasing pack, I mean, I really think they, I, I just, I feel I probably could have caught probably could have caught her up but um no, it was it was very interesting i don't really have much to say about the ladies race really um sort of near the um there's about 20 or so k's to go uh mariana voss who he she he no she she's one of like the greats of women's cycling they, she's they call her the goat right she's one of the the all-time greats um she sort of broke away by herself and she actually caught up um she didn't catch up 100 percent, but she caught um lizzie diagon up by about 40 or 50 seconds just by herself because uh, she's done some cycle cross racing and other disciplines so on the cobbled parve she was quite good like some of the riders if you're riding on roads all the time you don't necessarily have the skills to negotiate the wet uh, slippery muddy cobbles um, yeah, you might not necessarily quite have have those um, handling skills. Um, you know, like they'd be much better than mine. But you know, compared to somebody like Voss, who has ridden, she does mountain, or she has done mountain biking and um, cycle cross racing and things, where we're racing in mud and a bit more tricky conditions. Her skills in that context are just just a little bit more. So she um, was able to catch up. Or you know, catch Diagon, uh, Elizabeth uh, Diagon, quite a bit, um, and so. But but anyway, so when they what happens when they get to um, when they get to Roubaix, they actually then go into a velodrome, it's an outdoor velodrome, big concrete thing, and they do a lap, <laughs> they do a lap of that. So, um, but yeah, look anyway, Elizabeth Diagon, uh, she won the race, the first ever edition of uh, the women's uh, Paris Roubaix. And Mariana Voss finished uh, second. I think she was about a minute and 20 seconds behind, which I think she did a pretty solid job because I think when she made her her move, uh, it was about 20-odd k's to go. Diagon was um, sort of, uh, I think she was about two minutes ahead. So I think Voss did a great job to catch up actually about 40 seconds by herself. Um, and I, I think if, it was, if, it was, if she had either moved earlier, like uh, attacked earlier, or if there was more parve, more cobbles. I think she probably would have. Um, I think she could have caught her up more, if I'm honest. Um, but yes, anyway. So Elizabeth Diagon, she won the race. Now something interesting, well, I find interesting about uh, Lizzie Diagon is a couple of years ago she actually had some time. She was uh, she had some time off. She had about a year or eighteen months, I think, off because she had a had a kid. And she come back, I think, late sort of 2019, um, early last year, and. Like she, she's really good though. Like she's one of the better riders. That she wins stuff, and I just think it's maybe I think just because I'm a dumb man, but I think it's really great that she 
she was a good rider. She decided to have, like, nearly two years away, had a uh, kid. She's come back, and she's not there making up the numbers. Like, she's good. She's a good, solid rider. She wins races. Um, and I think that's just that's a great job. I mean, like, she's, yeah, awesome. And I, I'm a fan of her because of, of I think, because of that um, reason. So... Yeah, there we go. Now, uh, I'll get into the men's edition of the race, which now I didn't watch all of the men's race because it, the men's race did start, uh, did start earlier um, and the whole race was broadcast. But when it hit one o'clock and they still had about 50, I think about 60 Ks to go, uh, I went to bed. Yeah. Now, in the men's race, it's a bit different because they ride about 100 kilometres before they even hit any of the cobble uh, parve. So the ladies, they do 17 sections of cobbles, and the cobbles, they have a rating system. So that's one is the easiest, five is the hardest. And, they, and the length ranges from maybe like 800, 900 metres to two or three kilometres as the longest sections. And actually, I mean, once they hit the cobbles, at least this is the case in the men's race. I'm not sure about the ladies' race because the men do 30, I think they do about 30 sections of cobbles, whereas the ladies only did 17. However, at least in regards to the men's race, once they hit the cobbles, the the, the greatest distance between sections, I think, is about eight, nine kilometres. Um, and in the speeds they do, they like that would be... Not long, really. Um, maybe, I don't know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes maybe. They'd probably smoke 10Ks. That'd be, yeah, I'd say 10 to 15 minutes probably. They'd knock out sort of 8 or 9 kilometres. Um, yeah, anyway, so the men's race had started and it was raining and it was raining pretty steadily. So I saw the rain and I thought, well, the latest race was a bit spicy in regards to... Um, the cobbles being muddy and slippery and whatever else. So this is going to go up like an absolute notch, um, which it sort of did. I mean, there wasn't as many prangs as I you would probably expect. I think everybody did a pretty good job. So anyway, so there wasn't really much happening there. They rode. There was a breakaway group um, ahead of the main of the main bunch, but it was really interesting because when they started getting to the cobbles, you know, in the main pack. There's a lot of jostling for position, you know. A lot of, a lot of the main contenders were they were moving to get in front, or get as far up ahead as they could, because the cobbled sections are only, as in like width wise, about as wide as a car, um, and you know, like a bike, of course, is not that wide, but you want to if you're if you're riding on this sort of terrain, you, in an ideal world, want to be. Um, by yourself, and I think that's something that probably was a good advantage to Lizzie Diagon in the latest race because she was by herself, so she could ride wherever she wanted to on the cobbles. She wanted to ride in the middle, she could. She wanted to ride on the side, she could, because she was by herself. She didn't have to worry about, you know, five, ten, um, fifteen other riders like with her. She could ride wherever she wanted. Anyway, so men's race um, was on and started, and they were they were pretty. It was reasonably tame. Um, there was somebody did go into a ditch. 
Um, somebody else, I saw a rider, actually they were, had their shoe, they were putting their shoe on their rear wheel, and the commentator thought um, their, their suggestion was, well, their brakes are probably cooked, so they're using their boot to slow themselves down, which was just something else. Um, but because the conditions in the men's race were worse, they were just absolutely covered in in mud. Um, it was it was really it was like just what's people coming out of mines like you know how they're just dirty and they're not like covered in black soot, but like really sort of dirty like that. That's sort of what it was like watching the the men's race. And I don't know, I would struggle to. Det- determine or decide who what like who's who like what rider is is um is what but yeah, there was a few uh spills and thrills and spills in, in the men's race and there was a, then so there was actually three groups so it was about four people on the front had broken away and then there was a, a second group from the original break i think it was about 20 of them maybe and then like the main the main uh the main group so what happened is it was it was um interesting because they were showing the front of a race of the four riders. And all of a sudden, there was two. It's like, oh, okay, why is there two riders? Well, I think one had a puncture. One guy went down, and then all of a sudden, there's just two guys in the front of a race um, by themselves. Uh, but anyway, they slowly got reeled in by the second uh, group. And then the main contenders from the third group, you know, broke away, and then they caught up the... the, the front end of the race then so it's like cycling uh, road racing it's interesting because you have to have i think this is a good race probably to watch if you're not big into cycling because there was always sort of something happening but if it's a nice sunny day you know the breakaway there's a breakaway goes they usually get caught up like you have to have some patience when you're watching a, a bicycle race um, because you know, at times nothing happens until the last maybe 50 or 60 Ks and it'll start to heat up a bit. Whereas I think in, in, in the case of at least this edition of Roubaix, Paris-Roubaix, um, because of the weather as well and they're negotiating the cobbles, it's just there's always something happening. Um, it's not like the breakaway's going to get away. They'll catch them up easy sort of situation, you know. Um uh, yeah, so it was all very interesting, and I went through a forest section actually, which was quite interesting. And there was a few. Uh, somebody went down, and actually, I saw a picture of this. Somebody crashed, and the front fork on their bike had actually broken. So they must have gone down like super hard. Um, and uh, one of the main contenders, they were sort of left behind a little bit. Then their race, was, they ended up finishing seventh, but they were a little bit um, out at that point. Uh, Wout Van Aert. Um, he uh, was one of the main contenders. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't watch the end of a race. I have watched some highlights and things. And what, what ended up happening at the end was um, three riders. Now, Sonny Colbrelli, uh, Matthew Vanderpoel, and oh, I'm not sure what the guy's name is, but he was, he was part of the original trio, the four uh, out the front. Now, those three broke away um, from the from the pack and rode in to Roubaix um, as a trio and got on the, uh, they went to Velodrome, the three of them. And so they go on to Velodrome, they do about a lap and a half. 
and um, so it was a big sprint at the end. I don't know how they could put in a sprint when they've just ridden 260-odd kilometres over, well, you know, through rain and then over um, muddy, slippery, cobblestone um, goat tracks, really. But anyway, they could, covered in mud and stuff. And, um, yeah, so Sonny Colbrelli, he won the race. Um, old mate, uh, who was in the original breakaway, I can't remember his name. He rides for Lotto Sudow. There you go. He finished second. And then um, Vanderpoel finished third. And he was one of the favourites because much like Voss, he rides cycle cross and things too. So his skills in slipperier weather conditions, money conditions, are probably just, just a little bit like a next level up from everybody else because he rides mountain bike. He like does mountain bike racing and such as well. So his skills, bike handling skills in that context are just like a, just an next level, if if I could use that terminology. Um, but look, two very interesting races, two very exciting races, I think. And um, yeah, look, if, if you're interested to see anything, I'm sure if you just hop on your preferred search engine and type up um, Paris-Roubaix, 2021 or something you'll you'll find some pictures a lot of pictures i've seen heaps of pictures on instagram of, of riders just caked absolutely caked in um mud like after the race um but yeah all very interesting um and that actually there was, there was a point there where the the conditions got like it stopped raining and the conditions were a bit better so the, the riders when they started the race they had like rain jackets on or they had long sleeve um uh, jerseys and actually after a while what they some of them took them off so it was really funny because they're like from their hips down they were filthy and of course like their their faces were covered in in stuff and their helmets their heads were, were dirty and like their hands as well but like their torso and arms nice and clean you could see their all their team sponsors and things on them but um but by the end of the race you know that was they were covered. They their, their torsos were well and truly um, covered in it. Um, again, yeah. And I saw actually some some pictures. I saw a video of one of the ladies um, actually getting um, hosed down after the race. She actually she had a she had a crash so she, crash. Um, she went down. She had a little bit of a slide on the, on the, the mud. And I saw a video of uh, this particular rider actually getting hosed down. Um, quite literally after the uh, after the race when she'd finished she was at where her team um, sort of uh, her team was set up and there was one of the bike one of the mechanics there had a pressure washer and he was he was hosing her down <laughs> after um, after she had finished the race but yeah two very um, two very interesting races um, and I think if all if all goes to plan there'll be another edition again uh, and it's at its regular sort of um, time uh, in in May um, it was it, it was pushed back to sort of what are we October um, because of COVID so if all goes to plan there'll be another edition in um, six months so yeah that'll be quite a thing so they'll be riding I suppose in in on dusty cobbles rather than um, dirty muddy ones yeah anyway everybody um that's it for this episode of the uh, of the show. I hope you e- hope you words. I hope you enjoyed it, and um, yeah, something a little bit different. I mean, I guess you, you can't really 
watch this stuff um, back fully. You can actually, I think there is actually a full replay of the grand final on YouTube. But as for the cycling, that's not really something you can watch all of. There are highlight videos on, online. Um, but yeah, something a little bit different, and uh, I, I, uh, yeah, hope uh, hope you enjoyed it, and uh, I'll catch you um, on the the next episode of Luke, who's watching. Um, yeah, see ya. <laughs>